In this episode, I sit down with Mile High Dave from Galactic Gardens out of Colorado. I like this episode because we speak about the simplicity of how he irrigates his garden, feeding once a day and hand watering most of the time. I like it because you don't always need to have a crazy crop steering strategy or a substrate monitor. As you can see from Dave's Instagram, at milehighdave420, he's crushing just fine with what works for him. I really appreciate you guys for the support. I hope you guys gain something from this episode that helps drive success in your garden. Now, my high Dave, I've been following, I've been following my high Dave for a long time and, uh, I'm a big fan, uh, just because you just grow some serious fire, you know, Thank you're, you. you're consistently putting out fire and, um, and you're always hunting, right? I yes. mean, like how, how many, how often are you hunting? Um, all the time. I started out when I decided that. So my, my basic uh, reason for doing the hunts I do is because I want to start my own breeding company. And I believe if I'm going to start a breeding company, I need to start with the best of the best, not the best of what somebody else has found, but the best of what I believe it to be. Um, so, you know, when I first started out, I spent like twelve fifteen thousand $15,000 on seeds and I bought all the, you know, latest drops from all the top breeders you know, everyone said, this is the best, this is the best, this is the best. And I, and I think I started with like 400 seeds. And, um, from that initial hunt, that's how I found like, you know, some of the more popular stuff like the Dante's Inferno and Tokyo Sunsets and watermelon, uh, BXs and stuff like that. Watermelon Z Skittles. Pull up, uh, pull the microphone just a little closer. Is that better? Yeah, that's probably better. Like some watermelon Z Skittles and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm constantly hunting, always popping new seeds. I feel like being a cannabis connoisseur for as long as I have, I always want something fresh, something new. So I'm I, when when I think in terms of like what I want to bring to the people, I just think in terms of what I would want for myself, you know. So that's like my motivation and constantly looking for new stuff because I know that I would get tired of it shortly. So I always want to have a variety out there. So, you know, people can always be like, oh, he's got this, there's this, there's this. And I could grow something different. As of right now, I could grow something different, you know, every cycle for the next five years before I'm back. With the bank of, of seeds that you have. Right. With the bank of cuts that I the, found. Yeah. Not even seeds, just keepers that I found. I could grow something different you know, for the next five years before I'm back to the first one that I started with. When, when did, uh, you know, what's crazy is you grew up in Rubido where I grew up. We yes. grew up in the same spot. What, what year did you graduate? From I graduated Rubido? in 96. In uh, 96. Yes. I graduated in 2003. So you got oh. some, you got some age on me. Right. When did you get, a, did you get into cultivation out here in Rubido? Um, no, it wasn't in Rubido. It was when I moved up North, I moved to Santa Cruz. And um, I got into cultivation when I lived up there. My roommate at the time was like, hey, you know, growing herb is the way to do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, like show me. Like I've always, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to read High Times magazine. I'd be like hiding in the bathroom reading High Times. And my dad used to think I was in there like 
reading porn and it was actually just I would be in there for like an hour he'd like listen son I know what you're doing I'm like man you have no clue <laughs> like I'm trying to figure out how to grow the fire flower like yeah I like chicks I like chicks too but it was always about the that was like always my first love you know what I mean like so when I'm I was living up north in Santa Cruz and my roommate was like dude you gotta come with me I'm gonna show you how, how we do this and um that, you know, that's how I kind of got started. We used to mix our own organic soil. I'd, we'd go buy, like, big bags of perdolite and vermiculite and worm castings and bat guano and, you know, make these big, huge, you know, 20-gallon organic mixtures and, um, you know, grow these big outdoor crops. And at the time, it was, like, the most amazing thing to me. I, I just remember just being, like, in love with the whole process and, and just want knowing that this is always what I wanted to do. Um, it, but the legality of it is always what really stopped me from stepping into it full force, you know, what year, what year was that when you, when you got in, when you started that up in Santa Cruz? Um, I would say that was like 98. And that was early 99, maybe. Yeah. That was around, real. It was around 98, 99. I, th I was like 19. So maybe even earlier than that, maybe 96. Yeah. 97, yeah, around there. Yeah, so back then things were serious. I mean, if you, you got popped, you got... Hard felony for like, you know, anything over an ounce was a felony. So, you know, those before Prop 215 even. Um, yeah, it was risking a lot growing for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure, big time. Yeah, and when did you start hunting right away, or when did when did that start? Because I I I've, I've follow you, and, and you're just you're in it, you know. Um so. um, so right after the before the pandemic hit, I had a nice little sweet online sales business. I used to sell a lot of comic books and like collectible toys and stuff, and I made considerable amount of money selling comic books. Um, you know, I would I had an ad on Craigslist where I bought comic books um, in bulk for like 10 cents a piece. And, um, you know, I would buy go buy like a few thousand comic books and look through them and I'd find books worth a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. So, you know, I've always had that like hustler mentality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm going to make my own way type. Like I, I've never really been good at working for anyone, um, you know, in a regular nine to five setting. So I, I kind of like doing what I do. I'm able to be my own boss. And that's like the highest value to me. Um because like I said, I'm terrible in a regular nine to five setting. Like I don't really, you know, do good there. So, um, when, when you usually do a hunt and how, how big is, how large is a hunt? Like how, how many, when I first started, so right after the pandemic ended and you know, like when the pandemic hit hard, like it kind of tanked my online sales business. And I looked at my wife and I said, Hey, look, I'm going to get a state license and I want to grow wheat. Like, and she was like, she was always been against it. You know, I was like, Hey, let me set up, you know, let me set something up. She's like, nah, I don't want to, you know, we have kids. I don't want to deal. Okay. So when our finances really took a hit, she was like, okay, if you get a state license, like I'll, I'm behind it. Like I'll, you know, at the time she was a manager of a grocery store, and I was like, okay. And you were running a comic book. I was running like a, 
eBay online sales thing, you know, we're selling comic books and in the, in the secondary market. And were you and still like, cultivating a little bit on the side? Um, I just had a little tent. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, always had my little tent going. Um, but you know, so when I got my state license, she was like, okay. And once she saw that, you know, things started to pick up for me, she, you know, decided to leave her job and stay at home and take care of the kids so I could really dedicate all my time to cultivation. And that's when I really decided, I kind of had the plan when I stepped into it, I said, I'm going to, you know, find the best of the best plants out there and I'm going to start with seeds. I'm not going to start with, a lot of people have a tendency to look for the best cuts they can find. I was looking for the best seeds because I wanted to be the guy that came with the best cuts. Um, that was my motivation. So in, in hunting, I, you know, when I stepped into it, I was like, okay, I mean, I know what good plants look like to me. You know, I know what I want to smoke. So that's all I'm looking for. I don't think I do anything special in terms of when I'm hunting beyond looking for what I want for myself. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I don't think I'm doing, you know, anything spectacular. I think I just have an eye where other people don't. What are you what are you usually looking for when you're when you're doing? Um, first and foremost, I'm looking for turp profile, something unique, something that I haven't smelled before. Um, that's my first go-to. Right? When I, when I, 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 you know, when I'm in a room full of plants, I walk around, I stick my nose in every plant. Um, and when I find that one that's different, then I look for other factors. Like, does it look better as well? There's like, if I can find that some that hit like two or three of those, like one that's like crazy, unique smell, crazy, unique look, uh, yield is, nice like you know better than the average that those are the things i'm looking for right off the top um i think turp profile different turp profile is what i'm looking for over anything because if you can bring something unique to the market people will flock to that you know if you have something different that nobody's like i believe like the dante six i have that i brought with me to mj bizcon i don't i personally in all my years of smoking have never smelled a turp profile like that you know, that was just like this cherry candy, f crazy, like artificial sugar flavor. So that right there told me I have something special. And when I brought it around, you know, some of the best of the best in the industry and they're like, holy fucking shit. Um, that's that's pretty much how I was. Well, that's what Kraft Farmer said. And like even I even like, you know, these are guys like when guys from the Jungle Boys are like, dude, this is fire, bro. Like Walt was like, you know, Ivan, they're like, yeah, dude, like, dude, you got some fire. Like, I'm like, maybe I am onto something here. Like it just kind of confirms what I already believed in my mind, but I'm not one of those people. I can't be my own hype man. So I need other people to tell me this is like, you know, I'll never say I have the best. Other people can tell me all day I have the best and I don't even think I'll ever really believe it because I'm always kind of critical of myself looking for something better, looking for more. Um, but when a lot with some of the best of the best in the industry are like impressed by what I'm doing, that tells me I'm on the right path. Yeah. I you think, know. I think that's really interesting because, uh, you don't hear that a lot. I mean, I heard a lot of guys saying, oh, we're looking for yield. We're looking for THC or even, um, PM, uh, you know, uh, resistance against PM and, and, you know, veg, do you, do you look at those as secondary characteristics uh, to Terps? I do. Um, 
like I said, flavor profile is what it's all about. Yeah, um, 100%. For instance, the Dante 6, it has a it has a tendency to herm under the slightest stress. It especially has a tendency to herm on the lowers. Um, anything that's not getting, like, you know, full amount of, of, of high PPFD tends to herm a little bit. So I tend to trim all the lowers off so I don't really get that too much. But I've had growers grow it and, like, freak out. Like, oh, this thing hermed out on me. It's terrible. It's going to ruin my whole crop, ruin my whole garden. And it's just, like, um, it's one of those plants that, like, you just have to understand that there's a risk versus reward here. You're like, yeah, the, the risk is any stress and it's going to herm, but the reward is you're going to have a phenomenal turp profile that you've never seen before. So for me, the risk is worth the reward for other people. Not so much. Now I've grown the plant, you know, I've grown it a dozen runs enough to know that the pollen, even though it herms, I'm almost a hundred percent. The pollen isn't viable because it's never seeded anything. Um, I've had it tested. It come back, came back as a hundred percent female. So, you know, which leads me to believe that I, I probably have some sterile pollen that it herms out sterile pollen when it's stressed. So um, that to me is worth the reward. If, you know, the end result is worth it. There's worth that little bit of risk. Um, so other people might look at it like, you know, that's something, you know, herm is a big like. I don't want to fuck with that in the industry. Like any, you say this plant has a tendency to herm. People are like, eh, don't give me that. Um, I don't shy away from things like that. When I saw that it hermed and it, it had a tendency to herm, I was just like, okay, let me trim the lowers off. If it herms up top, I'll just kill the whole plant. But it never did that. So it was worth growing in the end. And then when I smelled the turp profile, I was like, holy shit, like I can't get rid of this. So even though with the little herm tendency, I have to keep this because it's so unique, so special, you know. How, how, how big is your library right now? I say I have about 40 phenos. Um, out of the 40, I've probably put maybe like 18 or so out, out there. I have about about 20 that I've never released, never even shown, but I know that they're winners. You know, I'm just kind of... You've never even shown them? Never shown them. <clears throat> wow. I have several that I've never shown, just kind of waiting. It's kind of like you, <laughs> like a, like you're like, you know, when you're... You're arsenal. You, like you're an artist. You, like you make all these art paintings. You don't necessarily want to just show everything at once. I'm kind of waiting to roll them out slowly. And I'm also kind of waiting till, um, I can fully immerse myself in the white market and just drop this huge library, um, to the masses, which is what I want to do. I really want to bring the best of the best that I can find to the people. I believe I have an eye that a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people are lazy and a lot of keepers are lost through, Lack of skill. Um, I think there's or way the more lack of lack of an eye to recognize. Lack of knowledge. Yeah. I, I mean, how many keepers do you think have been lost due to the fact this guy's overfeeding? Yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> you would never. You're never going to know it's a keeper unless you grow it right. Yeah. So I think that's the difference between me and a lot of people. And I'll just be the first one to tell you, I'm not doing anything special. I'm not some prolific. Um, you know, well of knowledge. I'm not some, you know, um, crazy, extraordinary, talented grower. I'm just somebody who pays a lot of attention to detail and I spend a lot of time in the garden. Yeah. That's it. You know, probably people are like, oh, dude, you know, I, I get, it makes, I never thought that anybody would look up to me in this life for anything. 
Um, when I get DMs and people are you got like, a lot of big fans. You got a lot of fans, <laughs> yeah, bro. You got I, a lot of I fans. do. And I, I'm I, one of them, bro. You know, people are like, oh, dude, I really, I wish I could, gr- I dream about growing like you. And I would, just, I just think to myself, like, wow, I never thought anybody would say anything like that to me because I dreamed about growing like a lot of the guys that I follow. I dreamed about growing like Kraft Farmer. I dreamed about growing like the Jungle Boys, you know? I dreamed about growing. You know, looking at high times, like I said, when I was a teenager, I that was always my dream to be the best grower, one of the best growers, you know, and that's what I'm just striving to be yeah. to this day. Yeah. yeah 40, um, 40 cultivars, it's a lot to manage, man. Tissue culture kit is going to come in handy for me there. I sent you one, right? Yes. Yeah. Have, yes. Have you have you opened it up yet? Yes, I have it all opened up. Have it all ready. Uh, the only thing I do, I need some more um, containers. Yeah, some yeah, vessels yeah. so I can really like house everything. But that's my plan as I find more keepers to keep a majority of them in tissue culture form until I'm ready to bring them out. I already know what they are. I've seen them, so. You know, I've usually most of the things that I've decided to keep, I've ran more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, I my rule is two, three, you know, two minimal. I like to do three though, three runs before I'm like, this is something I can sh- share with the masses. Um, so I was going to ask you that. So it's three, three full runs. Yes. Before you'll you'll sell a cut. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, did you do, did you, did you give it a go? The, the six vessels that you had, did you, test I have it not out? cause I wanted to do a bunch at one time. So okay. I'm just kind of waiting to get some more, uh, containers so I can do like, you know, a couple dozen at a time then really fill out. I have a whole VP dump, so I kind of want to fill it all up. Like, what do you think about the VP dump? I love it a lot. Do you like it? The yeah. most life simplifying is <laughs> the best way I can describe it. Simplified my life extremely. Yeah. Um, Remind me before we leave, um, I will, uh, I'll send you home with a bunch of vessels. Okay, cool. Sweet. Yeah. If you, you, you could probably take them on the plane with you, right? Yeah. You I should right. be able to. Yeah. You're all right. Who's, um, who are some of the, do you do a lot of collabs with any, any breeders? I have several collabs going right now. Actually, uh, one of the major collabs I have going is with Bee Leaf. Um, he sent me some Chimera 3 pollen, I'd say about a year or so ago, maybe a little more. And I crossed it to my Dante 6 a few months back. I got I got the first, I got about 100 seeds from the pollination. Um, we're going to test run those. Once those come back viable, we're probably going to do a seed drop. So, so you're, you're not only doing pheno hunting, but you're, you're crossing. Yes, the phenos that I find. that Well, that was always my... And goal, like I said, is to start my own breeding company. Um, I believe that that's how I'm going to leave uh, a real legacy in this industry is not only through hunting, but through breeding. Yeah. Because, um, you know, that's something that can live on long after I'm gone. Yeah. No, respect. I love that. What um, do a lot of guys that you work with, like, you do you hunt for a lot of breeders? Um, currently no, but I have a lot of cultivators that buy my hunts, um, mainly through, you know, just seeing what I do on Instagram and they're just like, Hey, you know, I would like to get that because that's going to save me a ton of work. Um, and that's always been one of my missions as well with hunting is to supply every major facility that I can across the country. Um, you know, if I can save them all the legwork, 
Yeah, because it's it's a lot of work. It is. I mean, how long does it usually take you, you know, from start to finish on a hunt? Um, usually about four or five months, you know, just the the time of a regular cycle. But like I said, it's usually two to three runs before I'm like, this is the one. Yeah. So about a year. Yeah. So about a year minimal, like the Dante's Inferno. I hunted that for two years before I actually like was like, this is the one, you know? Yeah. What, where did that come from? Who was the breeder? That was a clear water, um, drop. That they did a few years ago when I was buying all those seeds. Like I said, I spent like 15K on seeds from all, every major breeder in the industry. And um, their gear, along with Seed Junkie and and Leaf, really stood out out of all the gear that I bought. So, I mean, I can't even tell you about 10 grand of stuff that just got thrown in the garbage, you know? So that's something a lot of people don't take account for. I mean, I've had people DM me how much for this cut. And when I tell them they get all offended at the price, but it's like, dude, I spent, you know, a hundred thousand dollars looking for, for this to give it to you for free. Basically doesn't really make sense to me. Like I'd like to recoup some of my, you know, expenses as well. well. All your energy and work. Right. I'm not even talking about that. Just monetary cost alone is like ridiculous. Like, I don't think people really understand what it takes to run a large grow and to hunt through a large grow. Like I've had whole rooms get seeded out, you know, missing males, miss males in there. Ended up pollinating the whole room. Like, you know, that's a bit, that's just a big loss. It's like, you know, there's nothing there that I, I can't even, even if there was a keeper in there, I wouldn't even know because it got pollinated. Yeah. You know? So I don't think people realize like the, the work and the time and the effort that goes into hunting, the end result looks great, but there's a lot of like, you know, ups and downs throughout that getting to that end result. It's not always just sweet. Like, oh, I found this great pheno. Oh, easy. One run. There it is. Like, dude, I'm running this multiple times to make sure I'm giving you something that you can work with. Yeah. No, they, it's, uh, it's, I did it. I've done it a few times and it's, it's not easy, especially big runs. What's the biggest run that you've ever, have you ever done? In terms of hunting? Uh, Hunting. 400. 400. 400. That is insane. Yeah. That's that's a lot of work. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way that the way that I like to do it is we take cuts of everything before it goes into flower. So now you have to maintain all these little cuttings while you find the keeper. And then when you find the the reason why I do that, so when you find the keeper, I don't have to worry about revegging and they're ready to go, you know, for the next run. I have some ready to go to test again. And then by the time I'm like, okay, this is one that I'm gonna keep there's already a mom, you know, fully grown, ready to cut out. Do you think revegging affects the the health of the, the plant at all? Or? Um, I just think it takes too long. Yeah. And it's a pain in the ass. And it, I would rather just have healthy cuts ready to go, you know, versus trying to reveg something. I just, yeah, I, I, I just never have done it. It's always just makes more sense to take cuts beforehand for me. And just, if anything, I'll keep those cuts in the tray a little bit longer than they need to be. Maybe, you know, they might get a little big, but at the end of the day, when I do decide this is a keeper, it's, you know, fully rooted, ready to go. Yeah. So easy to bring it up to production, you know, do you have, um, do you have a favorite breeder? Um, I do, 
But not only because of the work that they do, just because of their work ethic and their uh, moral standards. Um, so right now, I would say Bee Leaf is one of my favorite breeders. Um, not only because of the work he does is phenomenal, but he's a stand-up, like straight, down-to-earth dude, honest. And I think that, to me, means more than if your gear might be a little bit better than his honesty. Like, I've had a breeder um, tell me, hey, you can't sell your cuts on my site. Um, you know, we only do breeder cuts. We, you can't sell. And, and okay, fine, sure, no big deal. Then buy the cut from me. Then take my photos off of Instagram. Then put it on his website and use my name. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can't sell my cuts, but you're going to use my name and my photos without ever talking to me to make yourself money. So, you know, that to me is just like shady business. I've, I've had breeders tell me, hey, man, if you give me all of your keepers, um, I'll breed with them and I'll give you seats. So basically, you're going to put me back at square one and then take all the keepers take and all make your work that you did. <laughs> a ton of money like hey i got all these great keepers i'm gonna breed with them and you know make money and and, and i'm gonna give you seeds in return so you can keep it going and bring me some more keepers like I, I just don't understand the logic there but um it's sad because there's a lot of guys that get taken advantage of like that like i know for a fact that there's breeders who don't actually breed they just do that initial like f1 cross Mm-hmm. They put out seeds. They wait for guys like me to find keepers. They buy the keepers and then they sell them as breeder cuts. Gnarly. So there's never actually any work done on the breeders, any real work, in my opinion, done on the breeders' behalf. Um, you know, I'd had an interview with Denver Westward recently, and I and I, I said to them that I believe that breeders do thirty percent of the work, and um, you know, growers do the other seventy percent, and that might piss some people off but that's how i really feel and my logic on it is like this if you're a, a championship dog breeder right and i buy a dog from you whose responsibility is it now to bring that dog to championship level is it yours as the breeder or is it mine as the owner of the dog who has to care for you know nurture train bring this dog to a level where people are going to be like wow where'd you get that dog yeah. I don't know a dog breeder in the game that tries to take credit for people who raise their dogs beyond I have great genetics. Yeah. You know, so that's where my logic is in breeders do 30% of the work. When the grower gets this, the seed, the work really begins. Yeah. Now, with this collab with Bee Leaf um, and the cross that you guys are doing, is 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 it to move forward? And, and you plan on doing some some Mile High Dave seeds? Hundred percent. And are you going to call Mile High Dave, or you have a brand? Uh, my brand is Galactic Gardens. Okay. And um, so I, I plan on dropping all seeds under Galactic Gardens. Um, it's going to be Galactic Gardens powered by Mile High Dave. Nice. So, um, yeah, that's. Like the cross that I did, I crossed his Chimera 3 to my Dante 8, which is probably one of the most, you know, famous of my keepers. Um, I'm really excited about it. I think they're both parents are, you know, phenomenal. So we'll see what the progeny looks like. Yeah. 
I bought the Dante eight from you, right? Yes. Yeah. What else did I get from you? I got uh, six watermelon cards. rush, Dante eight moon blend 24 pink Z Skittles. And I believe I gave you the trop cookie shirt cake. Yeah. yeah. Now that, uh, we just started it, uh, in the veg. So I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing what comes out of those. Yeah. you you guys are definitely like all those for sure. Especially in the uh, Vegas market doesn't really have anything like that. I don't yeah. Think. It doesn't seem like they do. No. And that's, that's what's, you know, in Vegas, they're all about new, 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 right. Like constant. Vegas is starving for quality. In my opinion, I would love to set up there. Yeah. What is the, you know, so you're, you're talking about getting into the white market. Like what is, what does that look like for you? Um, for me, that means, you know, getting a full rec license, um, where I can cultivate and put my brand in stores, um, put my brand on shelves. Really? That's, that's really what I've kind of done that in a roundabout way already by providing phenos to a lot of cultivators, but, um, it's not anything that I'm directly profiting on beyond selling the pheno, you know? Yeah. So I, I would like to like be able to grow quality that the people see me grow on Instagram and be able to put it in storefronts as in many places in the country as possible without sacrificing quality. Um, I think there's a way to do that. In my mind, it's to eliminate, you know, those huge 100,000 square foot grows. And instead of doing like, a, you know, instead of doing 120,000 square foot grows, uh, give me like 20,000 square foot grows. You know what I mean? And by car- compartmentalizing um, the grow space if I have an issue, it's not going to affect the crop across the board. Like, you know, when you have the, that, I think that's one of the major issues with quality right now is people have these huge grows, uh, any issue and it affects the whole thing. And, and by then they're just looking at the bottom line. You're not really concerned with how good the product is. You just want to make your money back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's so, a lot to manage that. Right. Anything, you know, anything over, you know, it's a lot to manage anything that size, but you know, more craft, smaller batch, you know, kind right. of even runs. in a large space, just, you know, compartmentalize things that way. If you have an issue here, you know, that's only one room, one fifty lighter versus a 500 lighter. Yeah. You know, what, so you're, you're currently in Colorado and you're thinking about possibly going to another market. Absolutely. What, what's going on? Like what, what's going on with the Colorado market? Um, a lot of people are getting out of it. Uh, there's license grows up for sale for pennies on the dollar right now, you know, by the dozens in Colorado. That doesn't, for me, that doesn't really seem like a wise business move to try to build something in that market because of that. So many people are getting, now I believe that the quality I produce would hold its own and would probably be profitable for me even in Colorado, but there's other markets where I wouldn't have to struggle as much with the same quality, you know, and I'd get much better bottom line. So I think that's, you know, my line of thinking there is I want to be somewhere where it's going to be easy for me, easier for me to operate a business. Exactly. You know, to, to be at least somewhat profitable. What do you, what do you think about it is, what do you think, it is about the Colorado market that the guys are closing up shop. 
Um, quality. Quality. Yeah, quality is is sucks. Like even the guys that were known for quality a few years ago are not known for quality now. I think uh, corporate money has bought out a lot of the smaller batch guys in the industry in Colorado, and that has turned into this just money grind of we're going to put out whatever we produce under any circumstances. If it means remediation, if it means, you know, if it means we're washing powdery mildew, like we, they don't give a fuck, man. They're just trying to make a dollar for me. That's just like the antithesis of what we stand for as growers. For me, I want to bring the best quality to the people. How can I do that? If I'm just worried about money, if I'm just worried about the bottom line, you know, I'm never going to be concerned about quality because all I want to do is turn a profit. Uh, and I think that's what happened to the Colorado market. Everybody was worried about turning a profit and less worried about quality. And that desire to consistently turn a profit has caused the industry to collapse, basically that. And um, I would say other markets have had a factor in that in terms of um, like Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma is like this big clusterfuck of anybody can go there and just pretty much, I think they're starting to tighten up on regulations now, but like so much, you know, black market cannabis is coming out of Oklahoma that it's like crashing prices everywhere. Yeah. Oklahoma seemed to throw a wrench in everything. Right. Yeah. Oklahoma right. From, the- from, and, and, and people don't really realize like, you know, we can talk about black market and white market, but one affects the other. Um, if there's a shit ton of black market weed flooding the market, that's going to affect the white market a hundred percent. Um, because less people are going to go buy there. If you can get better quality over here for, you know, $600 a pound, than you can in the dispensary for a hundred dollars an ounce, where are you going to go? Yeah. 100%. You know? And I think that's what's really hurt the market in Colorado is not enough people focused on quality. Everybody's wanting to just make money. Everybody's just focused on volume. Yeah. I think more, more, you know, on the bottom line and, and producing more flood the market. Did they have, uh, do you know how many licenses are in Colorado? I don't. I, I, like I said, I know there's, I was just looking the other day, um, and they're being sold for pennies on the dollar. You know, there's, yeah, yeah, I was looking at, you know, there's a 15,000 square foot facility, uh, with the cultivation license, Med and Rec was like eighty grand. Giving it away, <laughs> yeah, yeah. giving it away for. They're yeah. just like, dude, just get me out of here. I'll take anything. Yeah, um, yeah. I've had some DMs like that too. Guys, like, oh man, you looking for a partner? You know, I'm. We're, we're, we don't know if we're going to get out of the business. You looking to buy a facility? And I'm just like, eh. I see too much of that in the Colorado market, and it just seems like a risky bet for me to try to invest a bunch of money to build up something that's not going to be successful or profitable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. I think back in the day, everybody wanted to be in the white market until they got in it. So you might want to be careful. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's highly regulated and, and, um, most all the States it's, it's highly taxed and it's just, it's hard when you're fighting against, traditional market and your, and your tax, I mean, it's, you're not in a bad place, you know, it's like what you have going on right now with, with being in the traditional market is, is actually 
a really good place to be in. It's not. Well, that's kind of why I've stepped towards breeding as well. Um, I, f- I feel, you know, with the uh, recent regulations on uh, on seeds being classified as basically hemp and being able to ship them without any, any issues, I think um, that's kind of pushed me more towards breeding as well uh, because it's something that I can do without having to worry about a ton of regulation. 100%. I think that's a great idea. Right. And it, it can be extremely profitable if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how often are you selling cuts? I mean, um, I usually sell cuts weekly, weekly. Yeah. Weekly. That's um, for well over a year now. That's the primary source of my income. I would say it comes through clones, but you're not selling clones in volume, just selling the, the genetics. I absolutely will sell clones in volume oh, too. You do? Yeah. Uh, okay. usually like anything over 500, I do like bulk orders. Um, but Mainly just the genetic to the average person that inquires with me. Once in a while, you get people that want like uh, you know five hundred, a thousand, two thousand. Um, I've ha- I've had some partnerships like with Clone Colorado in Colorado, which has enabled me to get a lot of my finds out to um, the med and rec markets. You know, um, so cultivators and I've had some breeding projects with them where, you know, my cultivars end up in metric and, um, that's been profitable in terms of like the royalties deal I have with them as well. So yeah, I sell cuts weekly. The, um, you know, you've been, you've been cultivating a long time and you've grown organically. You've used a lot of different lines, um, in a lot of different ways. What, um, what are you, how are you currently cultivating right now? Like what, what media are you using? What size? I grow in cocoa. Um, I grow in five gallons. I use hundred percent cocoa. Um, I'm running the pro line. Um, yeah, I, I hand mix daily. I don't have a dosatron or any type of, uh, uh, automated feeding. So I hand mix my nutrients daily and hand feed. Um, you know, I have drippers set up, but, you know, I mix it in hand feed, just drop the pump in there. But that's the, uh, for me, I believe that your plants like the nutrients fresh. So I like to mix them daily. I don't really believe in the big batch tanks. Maybe that's where, you know, something that might, I do a little different than a lot of people. Um, I believe in mixing the nutrients every day. So when you're, you're feed, you're hand feeding every day. Yes. How do you how do you like that compared to drippers? I mean, you're well. I have drippers, but I just you know I mix in my fifty gallon and I drop my aerial mix in there, and it feeds the whole you know feeds the whole room. Um, but in terms of like an automated system, I like that better because I feel I have a more hands on approach with my garden, and being more hands on, you're you're more susceptible to notice things issues sooner. Um, you know, if you just have everything's automated, you're probably not up and close and personal as much with your plants as you could be. Mm-hmm. So by me, you know, hand, I even like to hand water sometimes. I ain't going to lie to you. Sometimes I skip the drippers altogether. I'll go in there and hand water just so I can be underneath each plant and examine it as I'm watering, you know, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> and, um, 
you know, a lot of people will say, well, you can't do that when you scale up, but you can, it just no, depends I, on how much work you want to do. No, I've, I've, I've got guys that are hand watering 1400 lighters. There you go. On Athena pro line. And there's just, they're making it happen. Cocoa, five gallon pots, just like you. Yep. Hand watering, you know, 1400 lights. It's a lot with, so you're doing mainly one feet a day, one drench, one, one feet a day. I do, uh, kind of do like a dry bag technique by feeding less water in the beginning. So let's say I have a hundred plants in a room mm-hmm. or 75 plants in a room. Um, the first, you know, couple of weeks, they might get 50 to hundred gallons. And as we get, you know, heavier into flower, I might top out at about 150. Um, and then as we get later into flower, I'll bring that down, you know, back to 175 daily. Just really depends on um, the feedback I'm getting from them, you know. So you're you're just doing regular hand watering and veg, full saturation. Yes. Right. And then week one through three, are you stacking a little harder or how's that um, or are you watering less, watering less, watering less, w- less water in the first three weeks, I would say like 50 to a hundred gallons a day. Okay. And then in like week three through six, probably upwards of 150 gallons a day. We after week three. Right. Okay. So kind of, do you, do you do a lot of runoff tests every day? Have you seen the new runoff uh, guide we did? I have not. Go take a look at it right there. It's uh, after ProLine. I want to get your feedback on on what we're doing. So you do do a lot of runoff tests. Yes, I test runoff every single day. Here, let me find it for you. So we did this. It's a really cool chart. Um, I believe that's like one of the key factors to growing quality is monitoring runoff. That's what I was going to ask you. EC and pH, you know, on your I, runoff. Yeah, I keep I keep things within a certain range, and it the plants seem to love it. So look at week. You can see week three. Um, yo, Maddie, hand me the the other book over there. And you know, this is about what my runoff looks like. That I usually keep uh, my runoff the entire time. I never let it get over six. Yeah, so that's that's what we got. So you got P, pH of feed, 3EC, week one through whatever in veg, and then week one through three in flower, um, we're feeding a 3EC, but our runoff is a six to a top out of 7EC. Do you think that's a little too high or what? Or you think? Um, I, I don't think seven is too high. I've honestly had my uh, media EC get all the way up to nine, ten, yeah, um, yeah. without any issues. And the reason for that is by giving it adequate runoff. Uh, so you can let that PC kind of this last run. I really let the EC get up there, kind of testing to see like how far I could push it. And um, I found that as long as I gave adequate runoff, you know, like thirty to forty percent runoff, I wasn't getting any burn at all from that. So, okay. Um, the only thing on this chart that I, I would honestly change would be, especially growing in cocoa, I would, uh, adjust the pH. I, I keep my pH between six, six, two, six and six, two, and yeah. we got five, eight to six, one. Right. And, the, and the reason why I, I like my pH a little bit higher. If you look at the, uh, 
um, nutrients that cannabis absorbs through that pH range, it's actually they absorb a little bit more like boron and magnesium and like the higher pHs and they absorb the same amount of all the other nutrients at 5.8. So why not feed it a little bit more <laughs> where it's getting a little bit more of everything as well as what it was be getting at 5.8. This hey, is my logic there. Um, what about, do you ever, have you ever grown in Rockwell? No, I've never grown a walk cocoa, um, soil. I went from soil to cocoa and I kind of just fell in love with cocoa. I was like, cocoa can be a little bit more forgiving than rock wool from what mm-hmm. I understand. Um, which is, is why I like it. So yeah, you know, if there's some, uh, uh, EC or pH yeah, fluctuations, cocoa can handle that versus rock wool. I just don't want to fuck everything up. Yeah. Yeah. You know? What do you do? You, what do you think about the runoff numbers as far as in flower on uh, the EC a week four through six? You know, five and six EC runoff numbers. I think those are good numbers. Um, personally, I never really let my EC get over six. Okay. Um, unless I'm purposely doing it to kind of test to see things, but on, on average, the average I keep it between. Four point. I feed it three point five, so I keep it between four point five, like six, six point five. It doesn't really ever touch seven. Okay, okay. And then flush out week seven, eight. You know, four, four to five EC, three to three to three and a half EC week eight on your runoff. Um, I think starting at like week seven, my EC is usually around. Six and I start to bring it down daily by like a point or you know a couple points. So if if my runoff is at like four at week seven, um, each day I'll bring it down like point two point two okay. until we get down to the end where it's at like one or zero or yeah. you know a half a point half an EC or something. That's usually what I do. Bring it down slowly the last couple of weeks. Why do you think runoff is so important? Um, that's how you can tell when you're, you know, what to do next, in my opinion. So by testing runoff today, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. And so if I don't test runoff today, how do I know what I'm doing tomorrow? You know, that's really all it boils down to for me. If I if I test runoff and I notice EC is a little high, a little low, pH high or low, I make my adjustments accordingly, and I always try to keep things within the range. Um, that's what I was saying. I, I kind of just stick to the fundament, fundamentals. I don't really do anything spectacular. I'm not feeding them like, you know, unicorn shit or anything. And just, <laughs> I, just I just keep things simple, man. I uh you know, I have my ranges that I like, EC, pH ranges that I like to keep everything at during flower, and that's just my main focus is just keeping things there. So that's why I test runoff every day so I know, you know, if I need to make even the slightest adjustment, I can make it the next day. Would you adjust pH if you saw absolutely a lower pH come absolutely out, you would adjust it to a hundred percent so if like next. if i if pH is coming out five five eight I'm feeding at six four okay until pH is adjusted accordingly so the next day I might test it again and it might come out at like six oh so I'll go in again at six four yeah and then when it's like at six two optimal for me is um if I'm going in at like six two and it's coming out at six four, that's perfect. Yeah, it's it's I, that means everything, all the available nutrients is being taken up by the plant. 
Yeah. You're you're currently using uh, ProLine right now, right? Yes. Are you are you adding anything to it? No. How how do you how do you run it? How do you how do you just mix a batch? I I mix it daily, so I don't. I know some people will mix like a bag into a smaller batch tank and kind of liquefy everything. I still measure the powders uh, uh, by gram. <laughs> I kind of haven't evolved into the other method yet. I guess I. I'm one of those people, if it ain't broke, why fix it? So it's working for me to just continually measure. I guess if I had a, you know, a different setup where I was growing at a larger scale, you know, I might want to go ahead and mix a 25-pound bag, but I enjoy the process every single day of weighing out the grams and mixing each one and adding the nutrients one by one. I enjoy that process. I so don't, you, you weigh it out out of, out of a 25 pound bag. Yes. Yeah. Every single day. That's great. Yeah. How, how much, um, yeah. I wonder if you use the two pound pouches cause we make the two pound pouches that are, um, I, I've, I've used the balance of the two pound pouches. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I, I use the regular, um, traditional pro line in the 25 pound bags. Uh, I noticed the liquid balance is a little bit different than the powdered balance. Um, yeah. I like the liquid balance a little bit more, I think than the powder balance. Yeah. No, I th- it's personal preference. I right. Mean, pow- we made powder balance, uh, for complex irrigation systems. Like right. Metaflex. Right. Um, you I don't have any of that. So no. I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't need that. So the, the liquid, uh, potassium silicate is, is real great. And then also potassium silicate helps fight against, um, PM right when you when you feed it so that's that's actually a, a big benefit what do you think about um what do you think about when you hear people trying to add things to to athena pro line um don't do it i people ask me all the time oh do you do this do you add this do you add that and i i constantly tell them no i just use the pro line only and a lot of them seem like they don't believe it. Like you got to be adding something else, man. Like, what do you do? It's like, yeah. do, I think a lot of people don't realize there's no mystery ingredient that's going to make your, make you grow better. It really is the time you put in your garden. And modern- there's no magical teaspoonful of shit. That's going to make your shit better. <laughs> there really isn't. You just got to put that time and put the work in, you know, when are you defoliating? Like, are you checking your, like I had a buddy, he's like, ah, man, I never get over one pound of light. And I'm like, well, what's your runoff numbers? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, so that is, so I, I look at runoff as, as important as climate. I mean, if you don't know, you, you got climate, you got temp, humidity, CO2, um, you know, your climate is just your EC values and your pH and your media is just as important. A hundred percent. And if you got meters checking your climate, you know, nonstop, then you should be checking your runoffs. You know what I, I think weekly, what do you, what do you think? I would say minimal, like three times a week. That's just my personal Man, opinion. So you're on it. But I actually test like five times a week. Um, you test every yeah, day. I'm almost. a little anal retentive just because I like I like to make like even the littlest adjustment. It does sometimes like minimal. I'm testing three times a week, but I like on average to test at least five times a week. So you're testing almost every day. Almost every day. Yeah. Now you're just testing what's coming out of the pot when you feed. 
Right. Um, I'm testing what's coming out of the bench. So yeah, whatever, the bench. yeah, whatever, you know, particular bench is, is running out at, I'm usually testing that and then I'll make my adjust, adjustments accordingly. Okay. So you take an average of the bench, collect right. your runoff as it comes out of the plants, as you're doing your normal feeding. Right. And then you test that. And then you like to see pretty much what we have on our chart. Exactly. 0.5. In the first three weeks, because right. we're at you're at six to six five on your EC runoff, we're at seven. Right. So we're at we're like got a point five, and that's not going to make a big difference as long as you're giving your plants. And I think the the number one issue that salt growers have, even new salt growers have, is not giving their plants adequate runoff, and so that yeah. buildup, you know, causes all kinds of other problems once it gets within the danger zone. It's just like you know, you have all kinds of fucking uptake problems after that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'd be going into spots and, you know, I'd look at some plants and they're not looking too hot. And the first question I asked is, Hey, what's your runoff look like? They're like, uh, what's runoff? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite answer. Yeah. What's runoff? I'll be like, well, there's your number one problem right there. Yeah. Um, and like I said, e- even pH, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, they don't really pay much attention to pH. But like I said, if you look at the the chart of uh, elements that cannabis absorbs, they actually absorb more between the 6.0 and 6.4 range than they do in the 5.8 range. Um, so that's why I tend to, you know, keep things there. Yeah. What um, what lines were you using before, before Athena? Um, I I used Floriflex for a while, which I found to be really dirty. Um, I used Canna, which I never really got any great results with that. Um, I used Fox Farm, Ocean Forest. (laughs) That was fun. Um, I like, you know, I was a big Canna guy for a while. Like, it's not terrible. Four or five years, I was dedicated because. I think I had used so many other lines and I finally found one that I was like, okay, like this is a solid line. Like I can trust this Giving you good results, right? Yeah. It was was giving me good results. Well, that's my main thing. Why I use Athena over everything else. I've literally gotten the best results. I mean, people can say whatever, uh, you know, they they can rag on the salts. You know, they can say, oh, you're Athena, you're just buying hype and I'm, not a hype guy. I don't buy into hype. I buy into results. So I can say unequivocally that I've had better results with Athena than any other nutrient line I've ever used in my 20 plus years of growing. That's why I'm here (laughs) for no other reason than that. Um, if it didn't give me the results, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. How, um, how, how do you like using fade? Like have you, you started it? I enjoyed fade. Uh, I started it at the recommended 43 days. Um, the first time I liked the results. I, I tried it again at day 50 and I liked the results a lot better. Yeah. Maybe two weeks before two weeks before, even like the last 10 days, but yeah, two weeks to 10 days before I think is better than the last three weeks. That week, the week three is too, a little too much. Yeah, l- l- a little too, in my opinion. What did you see, a, d- a d- degradation in yield? Uh, slightly, yeah, smaller yield, just l- a little bit uh, degradation in development. It wasn't quite as, like, you know, finished as I like it. 
but I did notice Terps were significantly stronger and uh, trichome development seemed to be a lot more, even starting at day 43. When I did it at day 50, results were phenomenal. So um, day 50 is your sweet yeah, spot. Yeah, that's the sweet spot for me. And I can't say that for everybody. I would say, you know, listen to your plants and do what works best for them. Yeah. No, I think the the two the the two weeks at the end with fade. Are you still using it now? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm di- I'm getting much better turp profiles from it for sure. Yeah. What do you are you seeing any visual differences? Yeah, I'm definitely seeing more trichome development with fade, um, and I, and I'm seeing more colors as well. Um, definitely bringing out the rainbows in it early. Yeah. Yeah. How often are you, are you, are you doing a lot of COAs or you have partners doing COAs? Um, a lot of people that I sell cuts to tend to do COAs. Um, so, you know, I get a a wide variety of COAs from all across the country, which is pretty cool on the same cuts. Um, so like I had a friend who grew the Dante's Inferno in New York, uh, tested at her for 17%. I had a friend who grew it in Oklahoma, tested at 32%. So, and you know, it really is the grower makes the difference in the COA. In my opinion, COAs can really just vary like the, like a grower's quality varies, you know, it really just depends on who's growing it. Yeah. Unless like multiple, multiple COAs from the same lab and you can get like continuous data. Right. And that's the other thing. Labs are so, uh, you know, the data varies from one lab to the next. It's really hard to be like, get one COA from a lab and be like, this is the standard, you know, because you can get another COA from another lab and the results be widely different. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. What, what lights are you using right now? Thinkro LEDs currently. Right. How's, how are they going? I've loved them from day one. Um, run a lot of side by sides. Like, you know, we ran them in side by sides against a lot of other lights and they just outperformed. Um, a lot of other lights that, you know, we ran them against. Um, I like them a lot, but I'd still be willing to try something different, you know? Yeah. What about, are you using any different kind of veg lights? I use Thinkro Veggies as well. I, I believe that uh, you should use the same light type of lights in veg and flower so you know that your plants are getting the same spectrum all the way through. I don't like using different light brands or different types of lighting for veg versus flower. Have you ever done like a higher red spectrum on your, on your lights? Uh, think rows do run far red. So yeah, I do run the far red, uh, the last 15 minutes, um, before the lights go out and the first 15 minutes when they come back on. So I, they get 30 minutes of just straight far red, uh, every day. And are you, are you running CO2 as well? Yes. What, what, uh, what I p- run about 1500 PPMs. 1500 all the time. Yes. yes. What about well, Taper it down towards the end, but you know, through peak flower, it's about 1500 PPMs. Peak flower and in, in, in veg? Um, no CO2 in veg. No just CO2. Whatever, you know, CO2 is in the building, just you, basic CO2 levels. There's no CO2 burner in veg at all. Do you see a significant increase in quality and yield when you're running CO2? Um, I run high PPFD, and I believe that, uh, you know, the two coincide. So, you know, by running high PPFD, uh, increase the amount of CO2 and that keeps my plants from burning because they're really close to the lights. Um, 
Yeah, I definitely see a difference. We'll what see it. what uh, PP, PPFD values are you running in the beginning um, of flower? Like around 12. Well, in the beginning of flower, like 800. 800? Yeah. And then what do you peak out at? Uh, about 1,200. Yeah. Yeah. 12. That's, that's the sweet spot. Yeah, like 12, about 1,200. And what do you what are you doing in veg on PPFD? Um, in veg, it's really low. I keep my lights at like five ten percent in veg, so I'd say PPFD is probably in the low like two hundreds. Oh, that's yeah, really low. Yeah, like, it's like clone. Well, you know, um, <laughs> I never run my veg lights over ten percent. Okay. Um, there's a lot of people out there I see running veg at like 50 percent. I find that they do a lot better under really low light. Yeah. What, what do you, you know, for, for the cultivators out there, what importance would you give PPFD to the canopy? Um, high importance, but it's like, that has to be meshed with all the other environmentals. You can't just run high PPFD and be like, these should be blowing up. Like I said, if you're going to run high PPFD, uh, you should increase the amount of CO2. So your plants can take that. Um, you know, if you're just running high PPFD and you're not running high CO2, chances are you're going to burn your plants. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 100%. What about temp? Um, I like to keep my temps between like, say like, between like 74 and 80 degrees during the day and like 74, 68 at night. I don't usually like them to swing more than 10 degrees you know, 10, 15 degrees, um, through day or night. So I try to keep it within that range. Do you see a benefit of doing diff, you know, day night diff? Um, I'm still kind of testing that out. I, I, I've heard there's, it's so funny that you say that because, um, Bruce Bugby did a ton of testing on day night differential Uh and zero diff he said is completely fine. So temperature from day to night, the uh-huh. same uh-huh. with no diff. Um, it's the, it's the higher night temps that create a lot of problems. So anything that's a higher night, but there's really no negative impact, I guess, on lower night temps. But if that you makes have, sense. if you have zero diff, it's hasn't seen any positive or negative effects. Interesting. And that that's, it's pretty interesting to have. Yeah. Because I haven't really, you know, like I said, I try to keep the swing within like 10, 15 degrees and, and I just keep it like that at all times. And I don't really see any, you know, adverse effects at all by doing that, which is why I've always kind of done that. You know? Yeah. But it's interesting to hear that you didn't really have an opinion on it yet. No, I because, didn't. Because they're, it's from the, the, the research that they've done, it's like pretty much on par. It's the same. What, what about your, what do you like to keep your humidities at? Um, so during flower, I like to keep my humidity around 60, 65%. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, I run LEDs. So I get a much better yield like that. Um, a lot of people might, might, you know, like again, textbooks would say run your humidity at 45%, you know, 50% during peak flower or, you know, but that to me has never worked out as well as running a little bit higher humidity. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, that, that, uh, 60% a, a nice sweet spot, but most, Agree, 100%. Most, most people would di- probably disagree with us. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like I said, the textbooks would say 45, 50%. Um, and you can do that, but in my opinion, especially if you're running LEDs, you're going to get a much lower yield. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, when when running LEDs, do you used to run HPS, obviously? You've been in the game a long time. Um, I ran HPSs, but never at scale. Uh, back in the day when I was growing, it was all outdoor. <laughs> Okay. You know, so like light depot outdoor, that was like what I was doing at scale back, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so when I stepped back into like, okay, I'm going to grow full time. I just went straight for LEDs. I was like, yeah, this LEDs are like, it can save me. I don't have to run these fucking fan cool, these light coolers. I don't have to run like AC is hard. Um, it's going to be half the amount of electricity. Yeah. They're going to, they're more expensive to start with, but worth it. And my, they pay for themselves within the first year. Yeah. Back, uh, back then in, in 96, when you, when you first started growing and doing outdoor, do you have any, uh, close calls? Um, I had more than that, man. I went to prison for cultivation. You did? Yes. 20 something years ago. Luckily my record got expunged, but I went to prison for cultivation. Yeah. How, how long did you go? Uh, I did uh, 16 months with halftime. I got busted for 37 plants. How did it, can you talk about how it, how it went down? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I basically, I was growing in a house with a friend of mine and, um, I'm pretty sure this kid who came over to get some, you know, buy a pack or something got busted and, um, he told on us and, and we got raided and he was an informant. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was an, he either was an informant or he got pulled over on his way wherever he was going or got busted and was like, these guys got it Which over would here. Which him an informant. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So he, um, I'm pretty sure he told on us and we got raided and yeah, I just, I went to jail. <laughs> what, what year was that? Um, that was 90. Let me see. I was. 23. So it's 22 years ago. So that was what, like 2000? Yeah, 2000s. 2001, I believe yeah. it was. Yeah. And just 36 plants outdoor? Yeah. Pretty large? Well, yeah. Um, so uh, at the time they raided us, the plants were like almost finished. So, like, yeah, it was a big, like, you know, it was like pounds and pounds of outdoor weed to them. You know, they were counting everything. They used to weigh the whole plant. So it was a pretty big charge. I, I had a lawyer and I'm, and he beat it down to like a lower cultivation charge. And I ended up doing 16 months in state prison with halftime. Damn dude. Damn. Yeah. So like I was telling my dad the other day, we were talking about it and I told him, I said, you know, the same thing that like took my freedom away all those years ago is the same thing given him giving it back to me today, giving me more freedom than I've ever had in my life. Yeah, dude. Respect. So I, I feel like I deserve that one because, you know, it's fucked up to go to prison for cannabis, um, especially when you're around some real hardcore criminals and you know you're not that. You, you know, know you're not supposed to be in there. At all. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think that affected you moving forward in the industry? Um, it, it made it so I was basically like in the dark for decades, you know, I, uh, I never, uh, wanted to get into the white market until recently. Like I, I think, um, Instagram being a, you know, a vehicle of promotion and networking has really like opened my mind to say, okay, I can do this 
like legitimately and not have to worry about going to jail, yeah. you know? Um, and that was like my wife's main thing. She was like, dude, you've been in this sh- trouble for this shit before. Like, I don't, you know, I'll support you if you go do it the right way. You know, at least you get like the minimal amount of paperwork Yeah, at least. And yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. For you, you, you mean you're super under the radar. Yeah, you've just recently started coming out in the last, what, year, if that? Uh, I would say the last, like, two to three years. uh, The only difference between why you never heard of Mahai Dave three years ago to why kind of more people know about me now is I decided to dedicate my life to this plant, like, really three years ago is when I said, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it like I know how. And I'm not going to fuck around. I'm going to dedicate all my time and all my energy to doing this right. So here I am, you know, and I, and I, that's the only thing that separates me from the next guy, I think is just, uh, my dedication to it. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm special at all. I I just think I'm really dedicated to what I do. hundred percent. Yeah. You can tell, but you can tell that by the quality of your flower. When I was at MJ BizCon, um, you brought and gave me, gave me some Dante's Inferno number eight. And, um, I was just like, fuck blown away. Yeah. That was a lot of people's reaction to MJ BizCon, which was, it, it kind of really made me feel good about the path that I'm on. Cause I feel like, you know, some of the top guys in the industry are giving me recognition for the flower I've grown guys that I've looked up to, you know, yeah. for a decade or more. So for, for them to be like, oh, dude, your shit's fire. Like, you're growing some killer. Like, you're doing it right. I'm like, okay, maybe I am on the right path here after all, you know? Yeah. So. I think um, going through an experience like that, you know, pulls you back a lot and kind of uh, adjusts your your path for sure. It's, it's happened to me. And um, much respect. Thank you, sir. So now um, I just want to thank you for for making the trip out, bro. Thanks for having me. I, I, like I said, I haven't been to California in 20 years, so <laughs> yeah, it was a, uh, it was a, does it, does it look, uh, does it look the same? It was surreal driving over here. I was like, deja vu. I was like, man, everything looks different. Like I didn't recognize anything. Honestly, it's been 20 years since it, you've been to back tw- home to 20 Rubidoux? years. Yes. How old were you when you left here? 23. You're 23 when you left Rubido. Yeah, when I left California. When you left California. Yeah, I was 25 okay. when I left California, yes. Yeah, a lot of things have changed down here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when I left, uh, they just had Prop 215 was just like, you know, just becoming a thing. Yeah. So um, that's one of the reasons why I stayed in Colorado. I think they were the first state to legalize. And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck it. I'm staying right here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this is where it's at. You know, being having been through what I've been through, like, you know, first legal state, I was like, yeah, this is where it's, I can smoke my pot and grow it and not have to worry about going to fucking prison for it. Were you part, did you know anybody down here in the cultivation industry back in 96? No, I knew. So I would say like 98, I moved up to Santa Cruz and, um, that's when I really started getting into the cultivation scene. Like I knew a lot of guys who were into the prop two fifteen movement and, um, they had med cards, which to me was like, you know, 
a med card back then was like fucking gold. Yeah. Um, there was like a little Mecca down here in Southern California of growers that, you know, I think probably each individual city or County kind of had their little cultivation crew. And, um, there's a cool little Mecca here in Rubido, Harupa Valley, Riverside, IE, uh, of, uh, you know, underground growers that all knew each other, knew, knew each other's names. Uh-huh. Sometimes we would meet each other, but most of the times we just heard about each other. We didn't even know what we looked like. Um, we'd all deal with similar brokers and, um, transactions. So and- there was a strain back then that was really famous called the Glock. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. What was it? Like, is it an OG or was it? It was like, I want to say it was like Hawaiian or something. So it smelled like pineapples and it was like the most heady, uh, outdoor flower, like even outdoor, like it was just phenomenal and it was called the Glock. And I'm pretty sure the guys who were growing it were growing it up in Big Bear area. Like yep. it was coming from out of there. I was going off up there. Yeah. My boy Dave at Grassroots, um, we used to live up there during that time. Yeah. And he was rocking it. Yeah. There, the the Glock was all coming. And it was one guy in particular that I know that was like, he was like the one who had that particular cut. And I know that like all his grows got busted at the same time. And that's how up that cut got. Yeah, up in Big Bear. And that's how that cut got lost to the ages. But it was like... I remember like in the late nineties, like if you had the Glock, you pretty much had the best herb in the Riverside area for sure. That's rad. Yeah. Back when I was going, it was this OG cut and, um, I got it from this guy named JJ and, uh, Nikki and Mario were like the Kings of the Inland Empire. These guys that I know now. Um, but back then you just heard of them, right? right? Nikki and Mario. And they were just, they're, they're really big out here in the IE doing a lot of different stuff. And, um, it was just like this cool network and it was, it was interesting. I remember, you know, I got my first cuttings when I was like 15 because this neighbor down the street, I knew he was growing and I pester him literally three, four times a week to give me cuts. (laughs) And, uh, he finally, you know, caved in, but, um, it was cool to grow up in that to where you're growing up in this, you know, culture where there's so much trust involved, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's so much community involved because everybody's networking, working together and, and, and just, um, transactional trust. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to, to grow up in an industry like that and to, to kind of see where it's, where it's uh, going and has gone. Yeah. It's made some amazing, you know, leaps and bounds in the last 20 years. Yeah. Definitely going from like, you know, clandestine, you know, Walmart parking lot deals to you can just walk into a dispensary and just buy smoke is just amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I I always wished it would be legal in our lifetime. So like I said, that's why when they legalized in Colorado, I was like, Oh God, it's legal here. Yeah. I'm staying right here. (laughs) Not to mention I love the state, but that was one of my motivations for never coming back to California. When they legalized it here, I was like, ah, California, but I was already ingrained in Colorado and I liked it a lot there. 
How your relationship with Craft Farmer? You've known Craft, you known Lance for a while. I met Lance at MJ BizCon. As oh, well. with us? Yeah. Oh, nice. I met him for. I I met Lance. I had brought samples to MJ BizCon to give to the more prominent growers. Um, I bought like larger samples, like ounces, to give to Jungle Boys and give to Craft. So when I saw Craft, first thing I said was like, "Hey, I got a, I got something for you." Like I gave it to him, and he said, he opened it up. He said. Oh my God! Look at this fucking shit, Jesus Christ! And I was like, like that. <laughs> "Yeah." So you know that 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 made me feel great. Um, but yeah, we we ended up vibing. We hung out. Um, we went to the strip club. Shit, I hope I don't get him any trouble there. But uh, yeah, we hung out, and yeah, it was you know we just been vibing since we talk on the phone and you know shoot him texts now and then. Nice. He's really like genuine, down to earth guy, and those are the kind of people that I like to associate with. Like I don't do fake well, you know what I'm saying. So like the more genuine, down to earth someone is, the more I gravitate towards them, regardless yeah. of how long I've known him. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, good people. He's right. He's 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 loyal and he's down to earth. He's real. Like there's. Uh, just, All hard qualities to find in this day and age, man. Like not a lot yeah. of people are real. So yeah, I appreciate it when I see it. Yeah. Well, Dave, appreciate you, brother. Thanks for making the trip out. Likewise. I got a lot of love and respect. You're Thank uh, you. definitely, I'm definitely a fan. So. I'm a fan. <laughs> so. so yeah, that's great. We can be fans of each other. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Likewise. All right.